Designcast Podcast, the podcast for design and STEAM educators. Hello and welcome to Designcast, a podcast where I interview a wide range of excellent guests in design and STEAM education to get their unique perspectives. My name is Jason Reagan and I use my 20 plus years of experience as a design educator to dig deep into complex issues. This podcast has one simple mission, to create a community of people around the world that are interested in design and STEAM education. Each episode, I chat with guests from all corners of the design world, from classroom teachers to authors and even to educational consultants. We discuss a wide range of topics that we feel are relevant today. I do want to ask you that if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, or download from your favorite podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by listeners that might not find it otherwise. Also, it helps me to continually define the direction of future guests and episodes. Feel free to drop by my website, www.jasonreagan.ga, to leave me a comment or to sign up to be considered as a future guest on future episodes. Also, don't forget to stop by Anchor and leave me a voice clip that could even end up in an upcoming show. Thanks for listening. So let's get to it. For this 60th episode of DesignCast, I was honored to have Elaine Mantia sit down with me. Elaine is the Assistant Vice President and the Chief Information Officer for Information Technology at the Graduate Center, City University of New York. Her path into education and into her current role was a long and winding one. Throughout her journey, she has maintained humility and a really positive attitude. Elaine is truly an inspiration. Her human-centered approach to management is an example to everyone. During her interview, Elaine mentions a TEDx talk that she delivered. It is linked in the show notes along with her social media contacts. I am so excited for you to hear this discussion. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this chat with Elaine Montilla. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome back to another episode of DesignCast, and I am excited to have Elaine Mantia with me today. Elaine, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Jason. I'm happy, happy to be here, happy to have a conversation with you this morning. I, I can't say enough about how excited I am to talk to you, and so I really, really cannot wait for you to tell everybody about yourself and sort of your story, and I know that being in education is sort of at the end of a different set of careers for you. And so I want to hear a little bit about how kind of your journey to become who you are today. Yeah, yeah, I'll be happy to do that. So I'll start by telling you that I was born and raised in the Dominican Republic. 
I actually came to the U.S. right after finishing high school at the age of 17. I came to New York City and I did not speak a word of English. So that was a big shock for me. But my mom was really determined to make sure that we had a better future and a better education. And so I entered college and I had a, a whole bunch of ESL courses. You know, some of the challenges that I faced, well, first, I didn't speak the language and so that took some time. Luckily, I love languages. So I was really interested in, in learning and understanding new words every day. But I had to learn a new culture overnight. You know, I had to, I got a new identity, just so you know, up until that point, I thought my name was Elaine. And everyone called me Elaine. And in my first week in college, I was actually marked absent the whole week because they kept saying Elaine and I didn't know they were calling me. <laughs> so that was a fun story I share, I share on my tech talk. But, you know, I had to learn a new language, learn a new culture. I've always been curious about technology and helping people. And so in my first year in college, I did what's called the work study program where you get some hours to work at the university. And I was assigned to work in the library in the computer area. So I think that's where my love for computers started. Something else that I learned is that, you know, as an immigrant, as a woman, I knew it was going to be hard for me to make it into tech. And so I realized early on that I needed to focus on my education. And so I got my associate degree. I work and study at the same time. Almost all of my degrees happen at night. It's a privilege, I think, for me because it made me the person that I am today. And so I got my bachelor's also in computer information systems. And then I started working in tech and, and I had this passion for helping people. And I think naturally I was really good at working with a lot of people. So management came easy for me. And so that's how I, you know, got promoted internally and, and made it into, into being a CIO today. You tell me which parts you want to know because it's a long story. <laughs> oh man, that's an amazing story. I'm, I'm loving this. And so you are a CIO now, is that what you you're saying? Yes. So my current title is Assistant Vice President and CIO, and I currently run the entire IT department for the Graduate Center at CUNY, and that's pretty much everyone, <laughs> programmers, wow. technicians. But you know, I started as a help desk manager 16 years ago. I've been working there for 16 years now. Oh, wow. Holy moly. Talk about working your way up. <laughs> what a success story. Thank so, you. so what were, so tell me some of these, these challenges that you've had. Mm. I mean, it's, you, you mentioned being a woman and being an immigrant yeah. and being a second language English speaker, you know, how is all that work? And, and I know there's other challenges as well. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, definitely. You know, at the beginning, and just so you know, I always see the two sides of the challenges that I face. On one side is the challenges that come externally from other people. And then on the other side is the challenge of me believing in myself. And so if you want, we can talk about that one later. But, you know, I had a very strong accent when I when I got started in tech. And I was a very shy person, believe it or not. I had people who would always stare at my lips just to make sure that they could understand what I was saying. And so I was very conscious about that. I always had people question the things that I was saying. I think one reason was my accent, but another one is that I was very young. You know, when I got into tech, I was very young. When I got into management, I was young. Everyone that reported to me was older than me always. And so that was unusual. 
And then being a woman, it was hard at the beginning to have my voice heard. You know, I think I had to learn over the years how to make sure that people were listening to me. And I know today, because I coach and I, and I mentor a lot of young girls, I know how challenging that is to have people interrupt you, for example, in the middle of a meeting, or even to be the only woman in the room. Most of the meetings that I go to, I'm the only woman or one of two or three. Just to give you an example, the CUNY system here in New York is comprised of over 20 colleges and universities. And we have a monthly meeting of CIOs and I can tell you there is probably three or four <laughs> CIOs that are women. You know, I think we're making progress. It's just very slow. And so I had to, you know, deal with speaking up and interrupting interrupters who were not letting me complete my sentence. And then on the other side, also, you know, knowing that I was capable of doing the job. Uh, a lot of women especially deal with something called imposter syndrome. And I, I dealt with that for some time. And I had to learn how to you know, keep track of my accomplishments, read them often. I think journaling helped me a lot with that because sometimes, especially when you're Latina, when you're a female, sometimes you enter a room and you feel like, mm, I don't know, these people look so smart. I don't know if I belong here. So that was a journey for me too. I mean, yeah. I think especially now, so much of this is getting so much more media attention, but mm. I know that women and minorities have been dealing with this their entire lives. And so yeah. I think- you know, I think we're in a time that's actually quite exciting, even though it's rough, because it, mm. it is allowing these conversations to happen, which I think is incredibly important to the the healing and and yeah. the discussion to happen, you know. And so I, I think it's great that that's happening, that you're having those discussions. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I think that's and, you know, I write articles also. And so one of one of the things that I've noticed is that right now we do see a lot more content and even if you go into a place like linkedin learning you see in the past six months so many more courses related to diversity and inclusion and belonging in the workplace i'm happy that there is more attention to it i am a bit concerned because a lot of the big companies are focusing a lot on the writing and the website and hiring a diversity officer but not focusing much on what happens after you hire a person of color or after you hire a woman. Sometimes it feels like there is a quota that they need to meet. And once they meet that quota, it's like a check mark on a piece of paper. Oh, I have a woman, I have a Latina, I have an African-American person, so I'm good to go. I, it will look good now. But you know, that's when the work starts. We need to be supported in the workplace. We need to have mentors. We need to be assigned senior staff so that they can teach us about the, the culture, you know, and how the work is done. And I think that part is missing. And the culture has to change. It, it can't stay the way it can't stay the way it is. And I had a guest on a few episodes ago that said that mm -hmm. people are not afraid of change. They're afraid of loss. And I think because mm -hmm. they're afraid of what they're going to give up by change mm -hmm. versus just change in general. And I think the change in culture is the most deep seated one really is what's that mean I have to give up? It's very selfish. <laughs> actually. You know what's happening? That's usually when you have a scarcity mindset. I think what happens, and let me tell you, it happens between women also, where women don't want to help other women because they feel that they could only be one of, 
or, well, it goes back to white privilege also and privilege in general. I want to support you and I want to be an ally as long as, it doesn't, <laughs> like it doesn't you were saying, me, right? right, as long as I don't lose what I already have. And I think that especially men, when you say that you want to be an ally, you need to be willing to lose some of the power that you have today. And so I think there is room, there is more than enough room for everyone. You know, I think that sometimes people feel that if I teach you or if I coach you, you're going to take my job and I'm going to lose that. And it cannot be farther than that. I always hire people smarter than me for a reason, you know, I'm relying on them to help me. It's, 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 I always say I work for them. They don't work for me, but it's, it's hard to have that, that shift in mentality, especially when the culture has been created for so many years. And, you know, that's the case in education. Also, we have a culture in education that has been created for so many years and it's not easy to change it. Absolutely. I think about higher education, which I'm yes. not in, but I think about the tenured system and I think about all those yes. different things. And wow. I mean, I could, we'll could talk to crack. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. This, this is fascinating. And so Elaine, I want to ask you about your website and blog that you have mm-hmm. called 5X yeah. Minority. Can you tell me about that and sort of what led you to starting that? Yes, yes. I actually officially made it into a company last year in the middle of the pandemic. So 5X Minority started as a blog. I I have been working in tech for over 20 years. And a few years ago, I had the honor and privilege to give a tech talk, a TEDx talk. And after the talk, I got so many emails and so many messages from women and young girls who were telling me that my message resonated with them and that they felt that they were not alone and they could understand what I was saying. And so I said, you know what? I have to share what I know because I need to give them a place that they can go to and read this information. So it started as a blog and then I was, I started to get asked to speak at different places. And so now I, I do a lot more writing for other, for other magazines and I do public speaking and I also visit companies and do private meetings with staff to talk about women in tech and, and diversity and inclusion and, and some of the things that I know we could do to make it better. Wow. I mean, think about how far you've come when you're telling this story. It's unbelievable yeah. to see your determination. Yeah. And, and so that I know that I'm benefiting just by listening. And so thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> thank you. You know, I, I used to be a very shy person. And one of the things I realized is that, you know, these young girls in STEM need more role models. We need more women. They need to see people that look like them. And that was one of the things that I wish I had more of when I was growing up. More women in this, you know, C-suite, for example, or even being a network specialist. And so I, I want to give them some of that so that I can encourage them. Sure. Yeah, that I it's so great. And I think, like you said earlier, there's plenty of room for everybody. And I think that yes. everybody can have a role and a place for that. And I believe I read on your blog or either in your TED Talk, you said something about businesses can be powerful platforms for social change. Can you tell me yes. a little bit more about that? Yeah. And, you know, I just had a conversation about that with one of my friends last week because here in the U.S., If you've heard recently, we've had so many issues related to racism and African-Americans getting killed by the police officers. And I I don't want to get into politics, but what I want to share with you is that I think we're getting to a point where 
the role of the leader and the role of a manager is changing. I think before we were in a place where you could separate your personal life from your work life. I, I used to say that I, I was two different people. I was Elaine at home. And then when I entered the workplace, I was another Elaine that was different from the first one. And I no longer do that. And so I think it's no longer possible for leaders to ignore what their employees are dealing with. And so something that I, that I started doing was, you know, sending messages to my staff and letting them know that I understand their pain and that I understand what they're going through. I had open office hours on Fridays. And I said, if you want to come and talk to me, I'm going to have open Zoom hours every Friday and you can come in and we can have a conversation. I created a Microsoft Teams channels. And so we have channels where we can talk about things that are not related to work. And so I feel that there is so much that we can do as companies and leaders and managers so that we can just be better humans and allow people to be themselves when they enter the workplace. You know, I don't want a different Jason when you're in front of me or when you're when I'm having a meeting with you. I want to know the real Jason. And the problem with that is that we don't feel we don't feel that it's safe. <laughs> That's the first one. We don't feel that we belong. And I think as managers and leaders, we need to really change what our role is and, and, and to be able to create a psychological safety that our staff and our, our peers need to be themselves. And on top of that, there is a lot of research that shows that when you are yourself and you feel comfortable, productivity goes up, new ideas come out. And so, I mean, I, I think it's a win-win for everyone. I would say, especially in the last 12 to 15 months where our work yeah. life and our yeah. personal and home life have, mm. have meshed very, very, very closely where they weren't before, yes. you yeah. know, we're having meetings in our, in our bedroom, you know, I mean, so I mean, there's, there's <laughs> crazy awesome. things going on. Yeah. We've got people's you know, family pictures are behind them and all these yeah. different things. And so we, we're actually visitors into people's houses and homes yes. at the moment. And I think you're absolutely right. Uh, even after post pandemic and we emerge, mm -hmm. whatever it is we're going to mm -hmm. look like having yeah. that mindset is fantastic. I want to come to some of your office hours. <laughs> that sounds great. Oh, great. I, I, I noticed at the beginning I have, um, you know, I have employees with children and I noticed that at the beginning, some of the women would get so nervous because their children were running behind them I mean, into the camera. And what I would do is I would stop the meeting and I would say, okay, let me just give you a name. Okay, Heidi, I want to say hi. Can you, can you bring your daughter to the screen? Because I want to say hi because I want to make sure they could just relax and just know that it is okay. I understand your home and I understand you're a mom and I understand that this is a crazy time for you. So it's okay if your child is screaming behind you, I'll post the meeting and you will give her all the attention she needs and then we'll continue. And so I think you know, it's been a crazy time, but a lot of good things have come from this pandemic. I do think it's been a bit of a reset in a lot of ways. Mm. And I think it's been a reboot that we all yeah. probably have needed in certain ways. And I hope education in general mm. is rebooted after this time. I think it's needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's a tough one. <laughs> that is a tough one, isn't it? So you, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be years and years of research and years and years yeah. of experimentation. But I do think that as we unpack it, it's going to show things that 
we we're oh wow i didn't realize that oh okay you know because there's been this discussion of the lost year for your students and all these different mm-hmm. things but then on the other side are people are saying wait a minute they've reconnected with nature and they've done this and they've done that so i think there's yeah. going to be yeah, there's always two sides right <laughs> yeah and you know what that's a really complex one if i could just speak mm-hmm. a little bit about education quickly. please it's do it's gonna be complicated because i think we have to make sure we are inclusive and we take care of everyone. And so I'll just give you one example. I think I think the classroom is going to change. I don't see the point of having rows of students and a teacher or professor at the front of the room. That's crazy. I think that's gonna change in the future because I think it's gonna be more about collaboration and conversation. And we could see that any video uh, a student can watch at home, and then you can come to school to have a conversation and to learn from each other. But something that I want to share is that we cannot forget about the faculty members who are not comfortable with technology because I've dealt with that myself. And so I hear all these conversations about high flex classrooms and all of this video conferencing. And there is a lot of faculty members who are really uncomfortable using that type of technology and equipment. And so for them and for some fields, I think you need to be in person and you need to have that conversation. So I think it's going to be a hybrid mix of a mm-hmm, lot of different mm-hmm. options. I, I completely agree with you and everyone I've talked yeah. to pretty much has that same sentiment that it's mm. going to be some sort of mixture. I know that people didn't always view online courses as being as valuable as in person, mm. but I think probably their view of that has changed over the last yeah. year because designing really engaging, authentic, exciting units online is even more difficult than in person. So, you know, yeah. I can only yeah. imagine. I mean, we we yeah. have entire master's programs online and they do pretty mm. well. <laughs> they, I've taken many online courses and sometimes they're better than in person. Uh, You don't have the transportation time back and forth, the travel time and, and whatnot. And so I think it really does come back to good teaching is good teaching. (laughs) That's the end of that. You know, when you say that about businesses being a powerful platform for social change, how could you see education being a a powerful platform for social change? Mm, I love that question. (laughs) Thank you for asking. (laughs) You know, I think what I mentioned earlier about leaders and managers also applies to educators. And something that I see happening now that I don't think we talk enough about is mental health and the fact that there is going to be so much anxiety for all of our students coming back into a classroom. And I think the role of the faculty is going to change also. The flexibility needs to be there because where are the students going when they need help? Who are they talking to? I don't think everyone can afford to have a therapist in the classroom or in the college. And so I I think there's going to be a switch where they need to be educated themselves about all these issues, mental health and anxiety disorders and all these things that are happening, just to have the basics so that they can be of help. And also I think that conversations, there are many conversations that are not happening right now in the classroom. I think you mentioned this earlier, people are scared of having some conversations I think one of the reasons maybe because they don't want to say the wrong thing. I think we are afraid of being vulnerable and we don't see vulnerability as an asset, which it took me a few years to understand, but I see it as one of my superpowers today. Honestly, I think we're going to have to just be more human, you know, and, and understand that 
we are not perfect and we're going to have the difficult conversation in the classroom. And uh, I think the professor will be there to create the space for the conversation to happen and be honest and say, you know, I, I don't know everything, but we can have the conversation and any questions that come up, I'm sure I can follow up. It's the same as the workplace. I think, you know, we are, we want to be our whole selves everywhere we go. And so that includes the classroom, that includes the workplace, it's everywhere. So I think, I think that if we can have these conversations and be honest, you know, maybe things will change in the future and we mm -hmm. won't see each other as so separate or different because in the mm -hmm. end, we're all exactly the same. Absolutely. I could not have said that better myself. <laughs> kind of still thinking about classrooms and schools and how, how would you encourage more people of color and minorities and females to stay involved in the technology industries? Yeah, that's a hard one. You know, I'm a volunteer member of a group here that's called Tecnologicas. And what what we do is we realize that a lot of the issues start in the home and with the parents. And so for my culture, for example, for Latinas and Latinos, our parents don't believe that we could or should go into a field like STEM, for example, or study technology. And so what this amazing group is doing is they meet with parents and they educate the parents so that they can understand how different it is for girls now. And so if you think about children, you know that automatically the girls need to love pink and they have to play with dolls, right? And why do we do that? Well, it's the way it's been forever. And so I think it starts in the home. We need to be okay with girls playing with trucks <laughs> if they want to. I'm not saying we're going to force this, but if they want to, don't take it away from them. Uh, I also think we're so careful with girls. Even if you go to a playground and you sit there for half an hour, you can see how different moms talk to girls and boys who are doing the exact same thing. So I think it starts at home. I also think that we need to teach our girls that they could do anything they want. I think sometimes, because that was the case for me, I grew up thinking that I was not going to be good at math. And let me tell you, when I took my first C++ course, this is a programming language, I was so scared that I think mentally I failed the class because I didn't believe that I could do it. And I think a lot of that happens very early on. We model what we see. And so even for someone like my mom, me being in technology was something that she needed to get used to because in her mind, only men could do that. And my brother is in technology too, and he's the oldest. And so I think there's an adjusting period, but in the end, we need more role models. I think that's one of the issues. I mean, girls don't see women scientists and engineers and, you know, technologists. And if we continue like that, it's going to be harder to get them excited. We need to make it exciting and we need to have more role models. So more women going into classes to talk about their experience, just like I'm doing it right here with you. I think that's going to make a, a real difference. Could not agree with you more. I think that the more voices we have, the better we'll all be collectively. Yeah. So I think mm -hmm. that that's great that you've said that. So shifting gears just a little bit, you've mm -hmm. had so many different positions in your distinguished <laughs> career. What has been your <laughs> proudest accomplishment? What are you the most proud of? Oh, wow. 
Oh, that's a good question. I need to think about that. <laughs> okay, we uh, can come what? back to it if you need me to. No, 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 no. It's fine. Okay. You know, to be honest with you, I am really proud of not giving up. When I started in tech, just so you know, I was not supposed to be in tech. I was hired to handle the front desk at a company, computer company. And my first day when I got there, they were doing construction, so the desk was not ready. So they asked me to sit down at the help desk. And I sat there while the desk was getting ready and I was sitting there. And one thing that I want your listeners to take away from this is being curious can really change your life. Being a curious person has really changed my life. I was curious about the things happening around me and I asked, can I help? Do you need help? I can pick up the phone. What do you need me to do? And I started taking technical calls and helping people and I never left. I never went to the front desk. I stayed at the help desk. And that's how I started in tech. And so, you know, thinking about the obstacles that I face, you know, people not believing in me, people speaking over me in meetings, me not believing in myself sometimes, I'm really proud of not giving up. I stay the course and I kept telling myself, you know what, I'm going to learn this thing. I don't know. I'm going to learn this other thing. I was really afraid of public speaking. And I told myself, you know what? You cannot let this stop you. And I joined, I don't know if you know, there is a group called mm. Toastmasters. Of I course, yeah. A global group, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I found out about Toastmasters and I joined. And I mean, three months later, I was speaking in front of people where in the past, I would just be terrified of doing that. And so I think just not giving up, not, you know, my mom went through a lot for us to have the future that she wanted us to have. And the least that I could do for her is to be successful. I owe that to her and she's watching me now. And so I'm really proud of that. And also all the other people that I'm able to help now because I have a voice and because I have a title. Wow. I'm sure she's very, very proud of you. That's that's yeah. amazing. You've done so many great things. And so that's great. I love your answer. Thank you so much for that. That that Thank was you. that was really awesome. I have a, a question I like to ask everybody just because I love mm -hmm. to hear what people are, are reading. But do you have a book that you would recommend everyone stop right now and read? Oh my God. I love this question. So I read a lot, Jason. I read a okay. book every month. Yeah, I I love reading. Wow, one book. You know what? One of my favorite books is called The Four Agreements. Let me get the name of the author. I think it's Miguel Ruiz. Let me find it. I have a computer right here. So Miguel Ruiz, and it's called The Four Agreements. This is a book that I read every year. So I have some books I read every year. <laughs> one of them is The Four Agreement. The other one is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People mm -hmm, by Stephen mm -hmm. Covey. And mm. so uh, I'll, I want to share quickly The Four Agreements with you so that you can okay. get excited about it too. This, <laughs> I read this book every every year. Agreement number one, be impeccable with your word and just understanding how powerful words are and how you need to really think about the things you're saying before you say them. The second one is don't take anything personally because everything that people tell you is a reflection of themselves, right? The third one is don't make assumptions. And this one teaches you how to ask questions instead of assuming that people are telling you what you think they're telling you. And the last one is always do your best. And that's, that's my, I, I live my life following these four agreements. And I think this is a book that even though it's not about business, it, it just, it guides you into anything you do. Wow. 
Yeah, I'm looking at it on Goodreads. I have a Goodreads mm-hmm. shelf for everyone from the podcast, all their recommended books. And so it's already on there. While you were talking, I set it up. <laughs> so thank you for yeah, that. Also, that is also, awesome. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I can't I mean, wait for people to hear this. And and if you want, if you want a more business related book, mm. I don't know if you mm. know Dr. Brené Brown. I love of course, yes. all of her books. So one that I would recommend is Dare to Lead. It's right here on my desk. Awesome. <laughs> it's right here. Yeah, it's ready to go. I think she's so great. She's no nonsense, she's which amazing. I really appreciate. Oh I really appreciate it. She's great. <laughs> Elaine, this has been so much fun. I want to be respectful of your time. And so I just want to ask if anyone wants to find out more about your work or to get in touch with you, what's the best way that they can do that? You could go to my website. It's 5xminority.com. Or mm-hmm. you can find 5X Minority on LinkedIn, Facebook, mm-hmm. Instagram, Twitter. Or you can find me on LinkedIn, Elaine Montilla. I don't think there is something. I think you're it. <laughs> that you stuck with me. That's it. Uh, no, that's great. It's fantastic. <laughs> Elaine, I could do this all day, but I know that you have a busy day ahead of you. And it's the I'm wrapping my day up. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, isn't it? So, yeah. But this has Thank been so, so fantastic. For- yeah, oh my and I want to thank, thank you. you for creating this space also for others and for having me connecting with you. It's been a mm. pleasure. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Jason here from DesignCast, and I am just so pleased that you're here listening to DesignCast. I really appreciate all the feedback everyone's been giving me. It's been so fantastic to hear it, and it just really inspires me to continue going. Of course, making this week on week is difficult. If you feel so inclined, of course, there is no pressure. I would love it if you would take part in helping to support this podcast. And so I'm using a website called Buy Me a Coffee. And there are a couple different ways you can give. One is you can give a one-time gift. And then also there are monthly gifts that you can give. And by doing that, you will receive some services from me. Number one, you'll be part of Signcast support family. Also, there are different levels within that. So head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash designcast and you can find out more about the different ways you can support me. I hope you enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. I'm Jason, your host, and I produced and created this podcast. If you have any input, I would love to hear from you, and I look forward to seeing you again really soon.